Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Rudy Giuliani is the 107th mayor of New York, out of Brooklyn by way of Garden City South. He is widely credited with law and order in a different time and place for a more fractious New York City. He's gone on to some success. He's gone on to a lot of debate as well. We greet him here at 76 years old and well-preserved. Rudy Giuliani, I got to get right to it. On Fox the other night, you made national headlines with a lot of coughing as well. How are you, and have you had a test recently? Well, let me start with the good news. Yeah, I had a test recently. uh, The day of, actually, the day of that time that I was coughing. I coughed twice, actually, and I was clearing my throat. I had a test maybe two hours earlier. It came back yesterday, and I'm negative. That's the second one I've had since I was with the group in the White House that, unfortunately, most of them uh, came down with it. I feel very bad for them. (laughs) Almost feel a little guilty, I guess. But uh, I was one of the few, along with Jared and Ivanka, that didn't. Uh, But so far, I don't. And I'll go back and get tested again on Friday, and then I'll be out of the woods, I hope. I mean, you got to be very positive about it. Also, I'm not... I'm not that nervous about it. I know that if it does happen, I know exactly what to take. My doctor has already prescribed hydroxychloroquine, which I'm taking every day now for five days as a prophylactic. Your doctor has prescribed that to you. Has a doctor prescribed that to you? Have you told the doctor you're going to take this controversial medicine? Oh, no. The doctor has treated the doctor has treated two thousand five hundred patients who had this illness, believe it or not. The man is a genius. He invented the Zelenko protocol. And he's lost only two patients. Right. Uh, Rudy, you are the personal so, uh, confidant to the president. He's tweeted twice this morning. He is in recovery. He wants to get back to the Oval Office and work. Have you spoken to sure him is. in the last 24 hours? And what are you going to advise uh-huh. him to get this campaign back on the rails? Well, I mean, what he's doing, which is he's got his surrogates out all over the country, making speeches, making talks. He is uh, he's communicating from the White House communicating what he has to from the White House. And as soon as he can, he'll he'll be back out on on the road himself. Uh, But he's got something like 500 surrogates in all different parts of the country, particularly in the key battleground states who are speaking for him. Okay, I, but I'm going to go do Rudy, a few I don't mean to interrupt, but look, Mike Pence has the most important vice presidential debate tonight. You and Mike Pence have the president's ear. What are you telling him and what is Mike Pence going to do tonight to get the campaign on the track to get the marginal voter that the president has clearly lost? Now, he hasn't clearly lost it. You're reading polls that are, that were the same polls. He was behind by if I take you back four years, we were three days after the Billy Bush uh, uh, revelations, and he, he was being counted out at this point, and he was about 18 points behind, 17 points behind. So, I mean, I, I, I understand what's wrong with the polls. They oversampled Democrats. Uh, there's anywhere, anywhere near a five to six point differential in favor of Trump that's not there because you don't measure enthusiasm. His enthusiasm level is, is still three times Biden's. The Biden voter... Half of them are voting, you know, just because they're Democrats. The other half are voting out of hatred for Trump. The Trump voters are are voting because they love him and because they realize he's been one of the most consequential presidents ever. And and they are very afraid of a socialist state. 
because they believe that Biden is impaired and not able to really handle the oh, come on, Rudy. I mean, John Farrell, forces. Rudy, John Farrell wants to get in here. Do you see evidence that the former vice president is impaired? Oh, absolutely. 100 percent. Not only that, I've had doctors look at him and I've done a podcast on it. Rudy Giuliani's Common Sense dot com. Go look at it. The two doctors will compare speeches Joe Biden gave five years ago with Rudy. speeches he's giving now. He loses his train of yep. thought in the middle of a sentence. Yeah, but so do number I, one, Rudy. One so do I, John DSM. Farrell. John, no, you jump don't. in here. No, you don't. Oh, come on! I lose my train of thought on an hourly basis. John, okay. jump in I, here. Uh, I pledge allegiance, uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, Joe Biden, I pledge allegiance oh, to the United on, States Rudy. under guard. <laughs> John, say the rest. Sir. John, how doesn't... about he couldn't? How about he couldn't get <clears throat> those? Are listen, listen, listen to me. Go get the D. Let's not even argue about it. Go get DSM five. You know what that is? DSM five. You don't. It's the psychiatrist's handbook. Go look at the ten symptoms of dementia. He's got eight of them. One of them is losing oh, the train of thought frequently. John, in the middle save of the me sense. here. John Another doesn't one know the is having trouble allegiance. with numbers. Three oh three oh three three oh three oh three oh. No, he doesn't remember it. Yeah. John, jump in here, please. He doesn't remember it because he has dementia. It's a disease. It's okay, an illness. Hold on a if second. He doesn't Rudy, have it. Rudy, nobody Rudy, has it. Please, let's, let's move on. Okay, honestly, Rudy, we're talking about something that is peripheral to honestly, an issue that are, is much more important right now. You are depriving the American people which is the of a fair chance we're in a to hear pandemic. the truth, Rudy, please, which is disgraceful. Please. It's please, disgraceful Rudy, that you're doing please, this. Honestly, you're cutting me off in the middle. Listen. No, honestly, right now, you, are being, you are being obstructive. I am talking about facts. I'm talking about a psychiatric textbook you don't even know. Listen, listen. You, you don't want the American people to hear that the guy running for president has an illness. It is clear. It's obvious. Go read DSM-5. Look for the symptoms of dementia. He's got eight of them. And Matt don't Giuliani, tell me, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. That program. is the truth. I know it's uncomfortable for you, but it's the truth. Rudy. He's also a big crook. Um, Rudy, I'm not Rudy, going to Rudy, what? What, what, Rudy? And go through, through Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Don't talk to me Let's in that. Again. Don't, you, you do not talk to Matt me in that, in, that, in that tone. Matt Giuliani. As We're if what I'm saying isn't worthy of consideration. I'm just here to ask you a question. I'm just here to ask you a question. No, no, no. I, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't to, like focus to dismiss on the medical tone. state of the former Vice President Joe Biden. Okay, this is let's, the first focus, time on, spoken, let's focus on the 3.5 million. Let's focus on the 3.5 million from one of the close friends of Putin in Russia that went to his son sir, who was suffering from drug addiction. Matt Giuliani. Why would you pay 3.5 million? On, let's focus. Why did, why did China pay the son 30 million? The Communist Party of China. Can we talk about the things that you don't talk about, the things that you hide Matt from Giuliani, the American people? We've agreed to do an interview. <clears throat> yes, sir. Not a monologue. Do you want to let me ask some questions? No, no, I, I've agreed to come on so that I can tell the truth. I didn't come on to be Rudy, a slave to your questions. we're doing an interview. Mr. Farrow is going to ask you a question because that's what we do here. Well, ask me John, the question. ask a question of the former mayor of New York City. But you, you can't stop me if you don't like what I'm saying. Rudy... Well, no, Look. I th just want to focus the interview a little bit. Matt Giuliani, you have direct experience ahead, in preparation it. with the president for the debate. Let us see if you can answer so let's a fair talk question. about the debates. Governor Christie. No, why don't we talk about why don't we talk about going what's hot? not talked about? Absolutely not. We can talk president about. President wasn't going to. The president was debating. About in a moment. Uh, uh, Matt will you let me finish the answer? No, John. Let me finish. Way. You haven't even let me complete the question. Let me, Matt Giuliani. Let's do this. I'll wait. I'll wait for you to complete the question. Let's see if you can ask a fair one. I've been asking a question about the debate, sir. So let's start there. I'm not interested in getting combative with you. 
the debate which you had direct involvement in to prepare the president for. Governor Christie said the president right. was too hot. What did you learn from those debates? I learned that the president uh, has to do that when he's debating the moderator and Joe Biden. And when uh, for, for months the media has been covering up facts the American people have to know about Joe Biden, about his incredible history, his and his families, of taking money from countries like Iraq, countries like Ukraine, countries like Russia, and basically getting 30 million or more from the Communist Party of China, with which his son has been a partner for the last four years. The American people don't know that because those questions aren't asked. Those things are suppressed. The reason they don't know that Joe Biden is demented is because you cut off those parts of his interviews when he loses his train of thought, as he did twice the other night. So that's my answer to the question. Next question. Matt Giuliani, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us today, sir. The lawyer to the president. <laughs> Thank you. No, you didn't. And the former mayor of you New York City. You don't appreciate my time. Boy, you're so, you're so phony. I very much did, sir. Thank you. Thank you very God much. God almighty. The former mayor of New York City. You're, work, you're working Giuliani. for the Democratic. Thank you very much. John, it is remarkable Looking ahead to, to see the debate. A little bit later John. this evening, Tom yeah. Keane. It is remarkable to see this, John, after the state of the city. I have the clearest memories way, way back, pre-Giuliani, of getting out near the Port Authority into what was, you know, the romance of it now of a tougher New York City. But it's amazing what this guy accomplished into those particularly younger, how different he is now, as we just witnessed uh, in, as you correctly said, John, a monologue uh, is, well, Lisa, are you still with us? Did you survive that yeah. as a native New Yorker? <laughs> Honestly, the one thing I wanted to ask him, as he said, that it doesn't worry him that much getting the virus. And my key question, is this the new tactic, that the virus just isn't that big of a deal? Is that the message from the White House? That seems to be what President Trump was saying. Well, I don't think we're getting a very clear answer on that. And medical professionals pushing back. I do wonder, though. Is that the message? John, I would, you know, what's so important in what Lisa says in that insight is the president saying, well, maybe I'm immune. John, it was such a different tone from Prime Minister Johnson, wasn't it? What an interview. Why aren't we talking about the elephant in the room? I mean, come on. That was just absolutely ridiculous in the last 10 minutes, Tom. Absolutely well, we ridiculous. I understand Josh Wingrove is with us now. Bloomberg News White House reporter. Josh, fantastic to catch up with you, sir. Thanks for joining us today. Let's try and focus the debate. Very difficult to focus the debate if an individual that is helping you prepare for that debate conducts themselves in that manner. How on earth will this debate shape up on October 15th in Miami, Florida? I mean, I, I'm a bit of, at a loss for words. I guess I would say that Rudy has been uh, dieting on the same sort of uh, feed of misinformation that the president has for some time. Um, and they're convinced that there is conspiracy going on ways. And I think you right. heard a little bit of that. Um, look, you know, uh, I, 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 some news in the also was that he's on hydroxychloroquine uh, as, as a preventative measure after he sat next to Chris Christie for a few days. Chris Christie, of course, has come down with the virus right. uh, and, and checked himself into hospital. Uh, it, uh, the FDA has issued a, a poison warning for that drug, essentially, thinking it's the emergency use authorization. Use authorization. So, um, you know, but just touted it. So I guess that's right. you. But, but uh, Rudy sure seemed upset. Uh, I don't know, John, you, you don't have that effect on me normally, but, you know, there's always tomorrow. <laughs> what is so important here, Josh, is 
we saw the president come out of a very close managed theater into that first debate, and all of us, whatever our politics, saw the response, the performance of that debate. And now we see Mayor Giuliani coming out of the convenience and comfort of the bubble, particularly as personified by his many conversations with a large family of Fox properties. Fine. Can this president, from your reporting, go outside the bubble to speak to marginal voters that don't buy what we just heard from the 107th mayor? He has not ever shown interest in doing that. And part of the collision course of this election has been the president and people around him coming out of their sort of Fox News orbit and, you know, engaging with other media. And it it often ends up like this. And we saw it with that town hall that uh, ABC ran, what was it, three weeks ago, George Stephanopoulos. And Trump got a lot of questions about from people on handling the virus, downplaying the virus, <laughs> things that he, people around him have declined to raise with him, right? And so it was sort of a, a bubble popping a little bit for him. Now, the president continues to believe that there is a silent majority out there backing him. But, I mean, poll after poll after poll don't show it. In particular, it looks like he's about to get clobbered among women voters. We're talking like 20 points. There's a poll showed over 30 points gap among women voters yesterday. So, you know, it, it honestly, like, I guess, you know, we'll know if by November 3rd, which reality is correct. But but some days it just feels like everyone's looking at totally different song sheets. Josh, there's also a question. If this is the new message out of the White House, that people are overplaying the virus, that the pandemic isn't that serious, is there an audience for that view? Are there a lot of voters who find that uh, to resonate with them and and want life to just go on and are willing to take the risk? I mean, there are, but they're the same voter base that the president has. I mean, poll after poll after poll shows that people believe that Trump doesn't take the virus seriously enough that they want more action, in particular around Congress. And we saw the president blow up those, those stimulus talks and then waffle back and forth in it on Twitter throughout the night. Um, you know, the, the president, the, the people think Biden would be better uh, <clears throat> under polling right. to manage the virus, like poll after poll after poll shows it. So, uh, you know, I think that any day that Donald Trump spends talking about the pandemic is a lost day for the campaign. Our international audience particularly just got a window into a segment of the of the president's support there with Mayor Giuliani. And, of course, you know, the heat, the ferment, uh, ferment rather, of those that are committed to Donald Trump. That's fine. But how does all this redound over to the Senate races? I know you're a White House reporter, but what does this tension and particularly tension of conspiracy and ill will and almost criminal intent of Democrats, what does that mean to the many Senate races? Um, Well, the sort of neutral prognosticators have slowly moved the Senate race forecast in favor of Democrats. And instead of fighting this election in Colorado and Arizona, they're fighting in places like South Carolina and North Carolina, places the Republicans shouldn't really be in tight races. And so, uh, as I say, we don't know. There's a lot of unknowns right now around mail-in voting, how many ballots are going to get rejected. So, I, you know, I don't think anyone is counting any chickens before they hatch. But, you know, the, the, the poll, uh, certainly Democrats seem right. a lot less worried about this poll right now than Republicans do. And, you know, uh, if, if Democrats take the Senate, it could be a bit of a cold winter for, for Republicans. And we just don't know what will happen if Trump loses, right? right? I mean, both in terms of how quickly he'll leave, if he'll leave, but also uh, what will happen to the party. Does he still hold his grip? I think he will in at least some 
Alicia Levine with us with BNY Mellon with a really prodigious mathematical set, really wonderful academics on the dynamics. What are the dynamics right now, Alicia, within the equity market with the cacophony of news, the wall of information we're all exhausted by? What's the dynamic for stocks that matter to you? Good morning, everyone. Hi, look, you know, the thing is, since the of last Tuesday, the betting markets, forget the CNN polls and the Wall Street Journal polls, the betting market started pricing in a, de- a Democratic sweep, right, which means taking the Senate as well as the White House. And what you saw was the cyclicals rallying because the expectation is whether or not you get a stimulus bill in the next week or two, you're going to have something even larger in the first quarter. And as we know, markets anticipate and see through the noise of the next few months. And that's essentially what markets were pricing in. And to the extent that it is becoming, it's looking like a more lopsided victory for the Democrats. It may not happen, but that's what the betting markets are telling us. Then markets are pricing in a huge fiscal bill larger than anything that Mnuchin or Pelosi could come up with right now. Alicia, I keep returning to this question. What we've seen so far, is that just a position squeeze or do you think people are starting to think about durable change over a sustainable period, that internal rotation, high yields, a steeper curve beyond just a two, three month trade? Yes. So I think investors are starting to position here. We don't like telling investors or our clients that they have to do particular things before elections. Markets go up under both administrations and different configurations of, 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 the, of Congress. However, there, it's clear that certain sectors will be better off under different administrations. Certain sectors will, will have, you know, some regulation under both, you know, both administrations. And so we think it's time with the outperformance of tech since the March 23rd low and really for the two years beforehand, that's really time to start looking at the cyclicals. We do, we do think the U.S. really has no choice here. There will be some fiscal stimulus passed, whether it's the next week or two or the next four months. We will be getting something. And with rising yields, that suggests cyclicals will be in favor. Are you making a multi-year projection here, Alicia? What is this, two, three, four, five years? What is it? Look, that is, that is a really tough question because right now policy is everything. And we know that, right? So Fed policy, central bank policy globally, sustained markets, put a floor under markets. And it was responsible, really, to the functioning of markets. What became a health crisis could have been a financial crisis and a banking crisis as well. And it wasn't because of the Fed. And fiscal stimulus globally has been enormous. And the U.S. has really been in the forefront of of that, spending 15 percent of GDP on fiscal so far and looking at another 10 percent, which is really extraordinary. So, so much depends on policy. So there are vagaries in policy here or there. The thought is that the Fed may come in here and clarify its asset purchases monthly to help stabilize markets if there is no fiscal bill in the next week or two to help get the market over that that Wait, hump. Hold on a second. Alicia, I'm so sorry, but to stabilize markets, markets are doing just fine. I struggle with this, the idea the Fed will come in with additional asset purchases. The market right now is pricing in extra stimulus come next next year, regardless of who wins, regardless of how it happens. What is that threshold of stabilization? What does it take to get the Fed's attention here? 
So I think I think look, if we heard Jay Powell yesterday, I think if there's no fiscal in the next in the near term, meaning you know soon, next few weeks, maybe we hear something about asset purchases. Maybe um, that is the hope of the market and the expectation of the market. Because if if the Fed if the Fed is essentially begging Congress to do something and and the government does nothing, we, you would expect that the Fed would try to do something as well. I think markets are supported here. I think we're volatile. It's a volatile season. The election is sort of this existential um, risk, but not really to the extent that we have a clear victor and then we can move forward from there. And as we know, once policies are clear and direction is clear, you can invest. Alicia, great to catch up. Let's hope we get some transparency and clarity very soon. Alicia Levine there, BMY Mellon, Chief Strategist on this market. The only undecided voter in Florida joins us right now, Douglas Cass of Seabreeze uh, Partners. Doug Cass, how are you, sir? You holding up? I'm good. We finally lost the game last night. Yeah, it's tough. You know, it's tough. I knew you'd bring don't, this up. Don't, don't forget, Tom, <clears throat> the greatest Yankee team in history. Murderers Row in 1927. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there were 110 and 44. Ruth hit four, 60 home runs. Gehrig hit about 400. Uh, they didn't win every playoff game yeah. either. I have been dying to speak to you. And, folks, for those of you a little bit long, younger, there is nothing that stopped time like Sandy Koufax against Bob Gibson. It was <laughs> just stunning to think about the violence of those two in their different way. I mean, Doug Cass... Three great pitchers then. Uh, Gibson, Koufax, and Marichal. Yeah. I had the honor of seeing Juan Marichal as a young kid out at Candlestick Park. Uh, I hurt myself, I think, Doug Cass in the backyard trying to get that high leg kick going. (laughs) Bob Gibson was feared, wasn't he? It was different. Oh, God. He was tenacious, wasn't he? uh, Sandy was like a ballerina. Yeah. Yeah. But Gibson was tough. Um, if you, uh, it's hard to explain it. You had to been around watching him. He was tenacious. They pitched from a higher mound too, which made a, a difference. Bob Gibson dying of cancer but here the in ball, the last yeah. few days, and the ball yeah. was dead. The, the ball, should the ball be dead now? So judges, the ball the judge hit the other day is yet to go down. It's not touched the ground yet. Should the ball be dead now to bring the small ball game back, Doug Gass? No, it's fun. We knew. we have uh, the judge and Giancarlo and oh, please. It's gonna be I can't wait to <laughs> Sweeney, tonight. save us with an equity market question, please. <laughs> exactly, Doug. The Yankees are gonna bounce back, I'm sure, of that tonight. So it's Doug, market ball. Oh, exactly right, exactly right, Doug. So, you know, we had the president seemingly pull back from this fiscal stimulus. What do you make of that? How do, how does that impact kind of how you're thinking about the market? Sure. Sure. Uh, my my strong investment and trading advice is to consider the contrary, um, to trade unemotionally, to take advantage of the artificiality of stock prices, which is a function of the changing market structure over the last decade from active to passive man, uh, investing. Uh, in a way, the market participants are the least educated and least informed investors in histories. Um, and we also have to understand, in looking at the stock market, and this is really tough because there's such crappy stuff happening, especially to small businesses, that this is a Darwinian market in which the large companies with operating expertise, large market shares, uh, strong financials continue to gain market share and have the, as Warren Buffett used to say, ever deeper competitive moats. 
Uh, about uh, two weeks ago, the S&P was faltering. It broke 3,200. It was down about 11% from the highs. And I coined the term the Biden bump to describe what I was seeing in the market and provide an explanation why I was buying in the belief of a tradable rally over the balance of the year. And referencing what you just said, we have the apparent termination of stimulus talks, which has led to the Biden burp yesterday, late afternoon. Yep. But I still believe in the Biden bump, and I think that the two-week rally uh, may not be over. I actually bought uh, futures last night and, and spiders in the dip. Actually, I think it might be far from over because of the Biden bump. So, Doug, are you kind of in the camp here? It looks like, again, just looking at the polls here, we had a CNN poll uh, uh, Monday showing a pretty a big lead by uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. How are you thinking about the election? Sure, um, how are you really, factoring really that important. And again, I have a contrary view. Um, so what is the Biden bump? What does it mean? What's the value of non-consensus? Um, I think the worst outcome for the markets, Paul, would have been a close and litigated election in which the outcome would be uncertain for days, weeks, or even months. Uh, in this case, there could have been civil unrest. The markets would not only suffer, but the markets would likely grow a lot more volatile. So the Biden bump began two weeks ago okay. in the polls and betting parlors, has been conspicuous in the last two weeks. As of this morning, Nate Silva's 538 has Biden 50 an 82% probability of winning election. It was 60% two weeks ago wow. uh, and predicted, and the other betting polls uh, also have a similar outcome. So I have br very briefly six factors in my Biden bump list. Number one, we're ever closer to a vaccine and therapeutics that we have been at any point this year. I said in March, and one of the reasons why I grew very optimistic on stocks um, that you have to have a strong belief in our health and scientific communities and just look at this week's Regeneron news. I still do. Secondly, we're approaching a normal seasonal strength in equities. Third, the Fed is not going to change monetary course. Our central banks and others globally are committed like never before to fuel <clears throat> domestic economic growth. Fourth, if the market does go higher, mm -hmm. we have this changed and embedded market structure change, which could exacerbate the short-term recovery in prices. Fifth, uh, investors, given the heightened uncertainties that everyone knows about, are positioned negatively or defensively. They're offside if the market rallies. They will have to reverse. And finally, my, my uh, base case expectation now, and so is the market, the betting polls, yeah. the betting and the polls, is that we're going to see a blue wave. So I think it's going to hasten the imperative and the passage of a massive fiscal stimulus yeah. program, perhaps more, Tom, than $2.2 trillion, possibly as soon as February 2021. Mm -hmm. The markets are going to smell this out, and they're going to begin to discount this by taking stocks higher over the near term. Don't look at the re rearview mirror in terms of the failing um, uh, negotiations today. Yeah. I never thought the Democrats and Republicans wouldn't agree. After all, it's not in either of right, their, their right, interests, unfortunately. Right. Doug Cass, Seabreeze with us. We're going to continue. Dow up 313 points, SPX 38 points, Cass killing it. Doug, I want to go back just a few years to Putnam and to Kidder Peabody. There's a point yeah. where you're as smart as you think you are, and then you realize that forget about the mathematics, Graham Dodd Coddle, and all the rest of it. The fact is, corporations always adjust, and it's always underestimated that they will adjust to whatever the market gives them, the economy gives them, et cetera. Are we underestimating, once again, the malleability of 
big companies, you know, stock trading companies yeah, a, to readjust? A, it's a great point. It's one of my themes. Uh, if you look at the stock market's advanced, Tom, since March, it's reflecting a triumph of, triumph of big business over small business. We as investors don't invest in a neighborhood bar or restaurant or in a laundromat or in a local candy store. It's sad to say that many of these small businesses are all at or over the abyss. We invest, and the stock market caters to people of jobs, work at solvent and growing businesses. This is a V-shaped recovery in housing. This is a U-shaped recovery in autos. The moats, the competitive advantages that exist at Costco, Walmart, Target, Amazon, Google, Netflix, Twitter, yeah. Home Depot, improve with COVID-19. Their moats have deepened. They were not impaired by the right. virus. Unfortunately, the government, and by that I mean both sides of the pew, the Congress, the White House, yeah. have failed our small businesses, which have been gutted by right. covid Doug, Amazon, give us an update here. You've written voluminously on Amazon as a long-term investment out to 33000 First of all, are they going to split 40 for one so they can go Dow? <laughs> I don't think um, Bezos is splitting, but Amazon's, Amazon has been, at most, most periods in the last, since December 26, 2018, when the stock got shellacked down to 1300 my largest position. Um, I made the case on, on, I guess it was Bloomberg TV, not radio with you, nice. um, that it would <clears throat> trade at 3000 and by 2022 would trade at 5000 and everyone laughed at me. I think I might've been yeah. low. It obviously traded through thousand over the, through 3000 over the short term. Uh, but their moat is, is so deep. Their resources are so strong. Their operating acumen in logistical operating acumen uh, is so sophisticated vis-a-vis -vis competition. Give me, we got to go. Give me a three-year target. A three-year target, I would say 7,000. Okay, good. Doug Cast, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.